0: We got a special interview coming up next. This is the We Don't Know Sports Podcast. Stay tuned.
1: Welcome, welcome,
0: welcome back once again to the We Don't Know Sports Podcast. This is Chad the Mark, and I'm getting ready to send you guys down a wonderful path. We had uh, the one and only Barry Lamanac, and you're probably like, who the hell is Barry Laminac? Dude, he's phenomenal. He's a guy that's got experience working for ESPN Houston for like seven years, uh, TV doing the Houston Sports Show. So he knows all things Houston sports. You can find his own show, he's got Barry on Deck. You can get it on Twitch. You can get him on social media, a lot of different places. He's also a stand up comedian. And, uh, you know, that's uh, a lot to unpack there. So we talk all things sports. Uh, he even educates me on Twitch a little bit because I'm too old for my own good and my 16 year old won't help me. So Barry's got me covered. Uh, we dive into the Astros, Deshaun Watson, Mattress Mac. I mean, just all kinds of stuff. So, hope you enjoy a weekend conversation with the one and only Barry Hey Hey, 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 what's up, Barry? Can you hear me all right? I
1: can. Can you hear me? Okay.
0: Ah, uh, man, you got the professional setup. I better be able to hear you, all right.
1: <laughs> hey, man, it's all I do now. So, yeah, gotta gotta invest.
0: I I, I can see that. You know, I, I gotta do the boom mics or something because we're we're still you know holding it here. Like uh, I, I don't like, know, we like we like to walk around too much. Like a
1: caveman, like uh, yeah, I primitive. Know.
0: Well, we technically are in a cave. This is our main oh. cave. This is the, uh, we don't know sports studios as we call it. So nice. It's a little bit of inflection, a different, uh, different memorabilia back here. I so. dig it.
1: I see, uh, I see a West Virginia banner. Okay. I see a lot of sports. I'm I'm in, I'm in NBA jams. <gasps>
0: yeah. Is that
1: working? Is that like a real working NBA jams video it, game? It, okay. it
0: is, it is, it is, uh, I got to beat turn- the hell out
1: of a picture of myself. That's, I, yours is way better, but that's that stupid
0: face. That's a good looking picture though. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, Barry man, I, I really appreciate you giving us time and, and coming on the show. And I know you just wrapped up a show. What show did I you did. just fit? What did you just finish?
1: Uh, I do a daily live two hour sports and entertainment show called Barry on deck.
0: Okay. So is that like your own personal thing that you do? Is that more of a video podcast or YouTube channel? Like what exactly is that?
1: Yeah, so I spent seven years. Uh, I mean, do you want to? Are we recording? Are we is this part of it, or do yeah, you want me to save why, it for the show? Or man, you let's tell just me r- we'll roll with it. I gotta let's go, let's, so let's go, go, fam. I'm easy. Uh, All yeah, right. so so basically, I spent seven years uh on ESPN radio here in Houston, and uh, for the first four years, I was on the weekend show leading up to kickoff, and then I got a shot at a day at a, at a midday show and won that, and uh. So I spent three years with my own show called The Usual Suspects here in Houston, and then COVID happened, and I got laid off. And so I was like, "Oh, what now?" I guess I'm going to go back to sack and groceries. And and a lot of my fans were like, "No, do your own show on the internet. Do it on YouTube Live or Twitch or whatever." So I started on Twitch. Like I got my last show at ESPN was Wednesday. And my first episode of Barry on deck was Monday and I that following Monday. And I basically was just like, well, I mean, I know radio really well and I had been doing nightly live streams where like, cause you know, the pandemic, I was bored. I would do radio for two three hours and then I didn't leave the house. Of, yeah. you know scared to die. Wasn't a whole no. lot to talk about in the sports world. No, either. there was no sports. I'm a stand-up comedian. There was no comedy. There was just nothing. So I started doing these like night. I called them nightly live chats and it was just me. And I would just get people in my life that I thought were interesting. My barber, uh, my vet who takes care of my cats. Who's also, he's a double vet. <laughs> he's a, he's a war vet and a vet vet, like an animal vet. Gotcha. So, you know, I'd just get random people and talk to them for an hour and stream it live. And the people that listen to my radio show would tune in. Well, as it so happens, that was the universe preparing me for a layoff because when I got laid off, my my fans that love the show were like, do your own thing and we'll watch. And that was 445 episodes ago two almost two years. Holy shit, man. That's pretty, that's pretty crazy. So let me, yeah.
0: let me ask you this. I, I hate to ask a, a seriously impolite question, but. If oh, you're gonna ask I,
1: me about the size of my junk, this is um uh, no, no, no. on this. I better it's make not, sure it, it, well, a family
0: friendly show. Y- junk is appropriate. I uh, know okay. we are we are rated explicit on iTunes, but uh, okay, uh, okay. I just want to make no, sure if I how see how, it. how old are you? I'm
1: 47.
0: 47. Man, props to you for even knowing how to use Twitch because I'm 40 and I don't even have a damn clue on how to use it. <laughs> you
1: youngsters today. No, you're, look, I, I
0: have way, I have a I have a 16-year-old who you know he knows all about it. And it's just, it's beyond me. It's like me trying to understand cryptocurrency and things like that. It's just (laughs) not my wheelhouse.
1: No, I, you know what? I come from an IT background before I got into radio. I spent 20 years in IT. Um, I ended up as a project manager for Halliburton was my final gig managing, you know, large, large infrastructure implementations in the, in the Halliburton IT organization. So I knew my stuff technology wise. That's why I was, kind of easy for me i had owned my own uh back in 2010 i started a website here in houston that covered the local mma scene so i learned that's where i kind of cut my teeth on the internet i learned you know like programming and web websites and and i learned video and how to edit and we started our own podcast so it was literally like all this training that i didn't know i was getting so when twitch rolled around i was like oh yeah so you just add a camera and you go live that's it was pretty easy. So it was an easy transition. So, and I'm glad I got the practice because when it came time to like, okay, this is what I do now for a living. I had already been doing, I had already had like, I think a month or two months under my, under my belt, as far as doing those nightly live chats, those interviews. So. It made the transition pretty easy.
0: So everybody under the sun who's trying to do something like that, they'd rather have a YouTube channel, Instagram, TikTok, things like that. Why Twitch? What makes it such a, a
1: nice platform for that show? So I, I looked at it at, well, one, I started on YouTube. And and the reason, so I had a, a, one of my listeners, his name is AR Platinum, and he was on YouTube and he had 70,000 subscribers to his YouTube channel. All right. And I was like, yo, that's great. What do you do? He was like, I scratch lotto tickets. And I was like, what? I was like, that's Wait, a, that sounds like YouTube. You. So you just record yourself scratching lotto tickets and people watch this. He's like, dude, I got 70,000 people that I was like. I don't understand this, but, but dude, to be honest with you, I didn't really understand Twitch. I'm like, who would want to watch someone else play a video game? I would rather play the video game than to watch someone else play a video. It would almost, to me, that was like watching somebody watch TV. I was See, like, now, this now this you is- sound
0: like my age a little bit. Yeah. Like, right. We- well, I'm
1: 47. I was like, <laughs> get off my lawn and get off my Twitch. Like I just, I, I couldn't comprehend this. It seems it seemed stupid to me. And then this so this guy was like, "Man, we need to get you on YouTube and you know, you're you're a comedian, you you do radio, you should your YouTube channel should have more subscribers." So he fortunately sent a bunch of his people my way and my my subscriber base built up. So when I started doing it it was cool. I had like a kind of a built-in audience there plus radio. Right. Well, when I got laid off, the fact that you can monetize these shows on YouTube and Twitch once you become an affiliate there and people can like send you money during the show and on on YouTube they call those super chats, and on Twitch they call them bits. Think of it for those for the old folks in the audience that are like, "What the hell is a super bit?" <laughs> it's like a tip, right? You tip your favorite bartender. You might tip a guy that plays a piano at a restaurant that's entertaining. You tip a right. guy uh, like a band, uh, a musician, a street musician. I mean, think of YouTubers and Twitch streamers as as street musicians.
0: So you just got the guitar case open there on the sidewalk and, you know, what happens,
1: happens. So when you're monetized on the, on YouTube live or on uh, Twitch, people can send you money just for streaming and they can subscribe in other ways, but, but this is one of the main ways. So when I lost my job, all I needed was 4,000 hours of watch time. I already had the thousand subscribers. So it just made sense to do what I was doing at night for fun do it during the day and get monetized and then maybe i could make some sort of living off of it and i just i got lucky and i had a very very supportive community and and group of i call them friends and family but fans that listen to my radio show and were comedy fans of mine that really wanted to keep listening to me talking to a microphone and say dumb stuff
0: so speaking speaking of the uh the comedy aspect i can't help but uh you know, go back to you mentioned having a career in IT and all the IT people I've ever met were always the most hilarious people I've ever come to. Where are they?
1: Okay, that's uh,
0: good. Uh, yeah, not really. Uh,
1: so, <laughs> <laughs> no, like <laughs> what? My brothers and sisters weren't representing. Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> not not the, the
0: nerds? Not the ones I've met, unfortunately. So what, what got you into stand-up comedy? How,
1: how did that come about? Man, I wanted to be a stand-up since I was eight years old. I remember. So I come from a broken home. I'm with I'm with you. I'm with <laughs> This is like the origin story for every comic ever, right? Uh, and it kind of reminds me of the Jerk. Do you ever watch the Jerk? The I, movie I, the Jer- yeah. I was born a poor black child and uh <laughs> no, but I mean my parents got divorced when I was 6. My sister was on drugs at 13. Like it was like so I was the I was the let's just let's just let's not rock the boat. Let's not make it any weirder at the house than it already is and my coping mechanism was to make the family laugh to ease the pain of our suffering. And I realized that was funny. I would come home and tell stories from school and everybody at the dinner table would laugh and, Oh, you're so funny. And I realized, okay, I can, I can make people laugh. This is kind of cool. Well, then at the age of eight, I watched Bill Cosby himself, the, Oh yeah.
0: Fantastic.
1: Yep. I mean, what you want about Cosby, but that, that we all didn't know how rapey he was back then. We know now it's awful, Right. Uh, But back then, like, I mean, so I'm sitting there watching. I didn't even know really what I was watching, but I just remember watching this man on stage telling stories and making people laugh and something in my little eight-year-old brain went, I do that at the table. I want to do that on stage for thousands of people instead of three. So I wanted to be a stand-up comic at eight. And I just, I wanted to be that my whole life, but I never really I was always under this. I guess you can call it imposter syndrome, where I was like, "Well, what? I'm not. F- I mean, my family thinks I'm funny, but I'm not funny." What's and that, then so I was like, "Doubt, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah." Which I think all the best entertainers have to have that. If you're if you're super cocky, you're probably not good at this. You, right.
0: you need <laughs> you need some type of reservation to check yourself.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. And 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 plus, I mean, I live in Houston, Texas, and I was like, "There's no industry here. There's no. There was no. I didn't know. You know, coming up in my 20s, I never even thought about it." And then one day at 38, I, this is a theme in my life, but I found myself without a job again, laid off, which also is the origin story for most comics, broken home, can't hold a job. And, uh, I mean, I was just sitting around, I was like, I'm going to go do an open mic. That was nine years ago. And I'm a nationally touring stand up comedian. now.
0: man, that, that's awesome. Cause you know, everybody can have these illusions of grandeur about like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, I could I go be a comedian. I can tell jokes cause they make their friends laugh oh, or whatever. Yeah. But that's a whole different element. So the, the first time you get on stage and you got the mic, like, what's that like for you? How, how did that
1: go? I mean, first of all, I'll say this, excuse my language, but comedy is a humbling bitch. No, she it is. will language humble is you? Oh, my God. Like, even when you're in it, like, nine years in, I'm like, I'm pretty good at this. And then I'll go eat shit in an open mic and be like, right. nope, I still got a lot to learn. <laughs> I am not as good as I thought I was, you know? It's like, it, it's... But... I guess I, so I was sitting around the house, no job. The wife is the breadwinner. I'm feeling depressed. And and I was like, you know what? I just, I got nothing to lose. Why don't I just do an open mic? And they tell you every comic. So I, the, the weird, this is kind of a weird story. It might not be entertaining, but I had a friend who was worked with a comic and that comic's name is John Wesley. And he goes, uh, I know John Wesley. Go introduce yourself. Go to his open mic that he runs. And introduce yourself and maybe he'll help you. So I walked up. Hey, John, my name is Barry Lamanak. My, my my buddy, AJ Hoffman, said to talk to you. I want to be a comedian. He goes, cool. I was like, do you have any advice? He goes, yeah. Watch. Go Go six weeks and just watch. And then go home at night and write. Go to as many open mics as you can for six straight weeks. Every night, two or three open mics, whatever you can. Watch as much live comedy as you can. And when you're done, go home and write jokes. And do that for six weeks and then start going on stage and doing it. Like, okay. So I did, I started doing that. And I went back to him and I was like, hey, so I've been watching. I think I'm ready to go on stage. Do you have any advice? He said, Not yet. Go on stage 10 times and then come back to me. So he was like kind of guiding me without guiding me. But you know, it was one of those things. By the time I did that six weeks of watching, that was like an athlete, right? Like, if you're an athlete and you watch film enough, you're gonna start to pick up on things. And if you're astute, and that and I had the advantage of being 38 when I started, if I was 18 or 28 without a bunch of real world experience, 20 years in corporate 50, you know, country, or uh, uh, what is it? uh, Fortune 50 companies in corporate America with, you know, you get, you get some snap, you learn the ropes there. So it made transitioning into comedy a little bit easier having that real world experience. Plus it gave me a lot more to to, uh, pull from and write jokes about. So I just watched and I went up and I didn't bomb and you're supposed to bomb when it's your first time, right? I didn't bomb everybody does yeah but I didn't like I didn't like kill it they were like oh my god Kevin Hart who this guy's amazing (laughs) but like I didn't bomb there was comics in the crowd they were laughing I had like you know people in the crowd were laughing now they did shut the place down the very next day so maybe I didn't do as good as I thought
0: Uh, they were just giving away all the alcohol from the bar it was at a Mexican
1: food restaurant and they literally closed the next day I was (laughs) like wow that's a that's a bad set when you <laughs> shut down a Mexican food joint. But no, I mean, I went up, I did okay. And uh, I mean, I wasn't good, but I was, I was funny, right? Like I wasn't polished. I didn't know the mechanics of comedy and the the, the architecture of comedy, but I was just funny. And uh, I mean, that was nine years, April, what was my comedy? April 13th, it'll be nine years. And when that's, started.
0: that's awesome. Uh, and I know this is a sports show, obviously, and we're going to talk yeah. about some sports stuff, that's but, true. but like you said, we, we like people and we like the stories kind of like what you did when the pandemic started, there's only so many times you can talk about the last dance. Cause that's the only thing that happened. So <laughs> right. you, you end up talking about all kinds of things. So one of the things I got to ask, since you are in the world of that, that up comic, uh, you know, life Well, who's your influences? So outside of, you know, taking your notes and going to shows and things like that, just when you look at maybe more wider known, uh, comedians out there, who, who, who do you kind of pull from a little bit or who do you look at as, as has the nicest craft that you try to model?
1: It's a great question. And it's a weird in any other industry that you could think of I think that the that an, an answer would be okay in most people's eyes to be like, oh yeah, I model myself after this. In comedy, at least the way I was taught the business by a bunch of grizzled old school road comics and and whatnot. In in comedy, the the ultimate sin is thievery. That is right. literally you might be hacky as far as like you you do dad jokes or puns or you know, one-liners or you tell story, whatever your style is, you might do, you'll play the guitar, do, use a puppet or whatever. And not everybody will like that, but that's just part of the business. But if you're a joke thief, if you're a thief of material, it's the ultimate sin. It's, right. it's the PEDs of the sports world. It's steroids. It's corking the bat. It's, you know what I mean? It's the, it's the, you know, it's the, it's the vast, all, all of it combined. Yeah. It's awful. It's the most egregious sin. It's banging the trash cans. The Houston cellar. Ah, Sorry. Houston. Ah. <laughs> so, so, so I, I was just taught early on, just originality was it. So, you know what I didn't do? I didn't model myself after anybody. I had comics that I enjoyed and that I, I loved to listen to, but I tried from day one to be authentically me. And, and so for that very reason, I don't watch a lot of comedy now. I don't, I don't, I went at first I did, but it was more of studying, right? It was film sessions. It was looking at the mechanics of comedy. Why does he look this way? Like it's weird. People don't know this, but like, if you watch certain comedians, they'll have certain rhythms. Comedy is a lot like music. There's like a rhythm to it, right? If you watch Chris rock, there's a lot of times in a Chris rock show where he starts the joke on the left-hand side. As he walks, he, he paces the stage as he does the setup. But when he gets to the middle of the stage, he looks dead center into the crowd and does the punchline. And so there's this kind of dance. There's this rhythm. It's it's super weird and nerdy.
0: I know what but, you mean, though. That cadence is definitely there for a lot of them.
1: And you kind of, the crowd gets into the rhythm. He gets into the rhythm. And that's why you're like, man, when you walk away, you're like, that guy's amazing. That show, because there's just like this, this harmonic thing that happens, right? So that's why I spent a lot of time studying, not necessarily like material or, oh, I want to be like, Bill Burr whom I love I Bill Burr is my favorite comedian but I don't watch a lot of Bill Burr because I don't want to get on stage <laughs> and just right. be a poor imitation of Bill Burr and there's a lot of comics that unfortunately do that at first and it's okay because you can tell there's like okay I'll give you an example there was one comic here in Houston um his name is Grady Pruitt he's in New York now hilarious I mean this dude is so funny but when he first started he sounded like Nate bargazzi he just not, I, 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 and he said he didn't even really like Nate Bargazzi, but I was like, dude, you have got to figure out how to not sound like Nate Bargazzi when you do your jokes. And he's kind of slowly found his own. We had another guy that sounded like Bill Burr that I told the same thing to. And then there's other guys who are trying to rip off Mitch Hedberg. They're literally doing his jokes and his cadence. So that's the big split, right? If you're stealing from Mitch, you're an asshole. But if you just sound like Nate because he influenced you, just find your own voice because you're still right. doing your jokes. You're funny. Just be funny in your voice and not his. So,
0: so is, is Carlos Mencia like the poster child for that? That's I, I can't tell you exactly that's what it is, but I feel like I've heard that my whole life that he's the biggest. That's joke the
1: thier, most public accusation of joke thievery in comedy yeah. is Carlos Mencia. But you would be surprised how many comics are joke thieves. Oh, A, lot people don't know sure. this. A lot of people don't know this, but rest in peace to Robin Williams a notorious joke thief. I mean, and he's, uh, you know, he's hilarious and he's, but Robin Williams was known to steal a joke or 20.
0: I can't remember know? the documentary I saw of him recently. And they actually went into that a little bit where he basically, and they, they didn't say it in an unflattering way, but it was that he had the innate ability to take something else and make it better by But it, yeah, it was still kind a joke. Of, thief. It's kind of what you're talking about though.
1: Yeah. And that's, but that's like, well, that's why I don't watch. Cause I don't want to like, there's this thing where like, if I have a joke, cause there's, there is such a thing as parallel thought. Right. And it's not fevery I'll, I'll give you an example of a stupid and crude joke that I wrote when I first started. Uh, I thought of this idea of, I had, I had gone to the urologist and we were talking about, you know, just men's stuff. And, uh, and then like I had, there was a pamphlet about freezing your sperm. And, and you know, and having it for later for, you know, if you want to have kids later, maybe you can or something happens. And so I wrote this joke, a stupid joke about, man, uh, you know, I was worried I was going to, you know, so I, I decided to freeze my sperm. And man, do you know how long it takes to fill up an ice cube tray with your own. Si- and like that, that was the joke, right? Stupid, dirty, gross. And I did it. I don't even do the joke anymore. But I've been home one night watching Gotham comedy live. Guy I don't even know. Never heard of this dude. He's on stage. And he tells a joke about freezing his semen in an ice cube tray. I was like, are you shitting me? (laughs) This now I'm not like, I haven't made it. I've not done comedy outside of Houston. So there's no way he stole this joke, but that's a very specifically weird, odd, dirty joke. And he did it. So the rule of comedy is first person to get to TV and do the joke owns the joke. So at that moment, I literally, Scratch that joke off the list, and I've never done it since. Yeah, it wasn't if a great one. To right. So that's kind of the rules, and there's a <laughs> lot of rules in comedy, and most of it involves a- around thievery and stuff like that. It's
0: so, a- weird. so as you've uh, toured and been around the country, any anybody notable you've crossed paths with?
1: Oh man, I've gotten to work with so many great comics and so many wonderfully talented people that you've never heard of, and plenty that you have. Um, I mean, I've i I got to open for George Wallace. I've opened for who's a legend. Oh yeah. I mean, even Seinfeld's a roommate. Like you know, George Wallace is upper echelon. But I've opened for big, big J. Operson, uh, Okerson. Excuse me, uh, John Witherspoon. Before he passed away, sadly, I was his last opener. Oh wow. And then he passed. And my buddy Alan Adams was like, your your, your material was so bad. It killed him. Yeah. I was like, you asshole. <laughs> that is not. By the way, greatest story of my life is I got to go to a strip club with John Witherspoon. Oh, i you, know, you going to go to a strip club with pops from Friday. Oh, that's, that's a uh, moment of my life.
0: That, that's that's got to be a, a bucket list item you probably never wrote <laughs> down, but we'll add it to the list.
1: So great. Like, I, he was like, hey, me and the, uh, the host for the night. So there's in comedy, there's three comedians you usually see on a show. The first one's the host. And he's usually the least experienced of the three kind of goes. The more you get into the show, the more experienced and the better the comics get. But Ben's an amazing comic, and he could actually headline. So the show was great, and Ben was the host. I was the feature, and and John Witherspoon was the headliner. And uh, we're just kind of hanging out after the show on a Saturday. There was one more show to go on Sunday, and uh, Spoon is like, hey, where's a strip club around here? You want to go to the strip (laughs) club? And Ben, find us a strip club. So Ben starts looking for a strip club. Meanwhile, I'm on the phone with my wife. I'm like, look, John Witherspoon (laughs) wants to go to the strip club. I'm going to this. So it was great. Like everybody was on board with that, even the wife. So mm. very cool. But so yeah, I mean, like dude, I've worked with guys that you maybe have never heard of that are just amazingly hilarious. Like Greg Morton recently was on America's Got Talent, but really people hadn't heard of him before that. But he's so funny. Dusty Slay. Uh, I mean, just I've just been lucky to work with a lot of really good, really talented comedians.
0: So let's talk back to some Houston sports here. Did you use your, did you use your knowledge of James Harden and strip clubs to help uh, John
1: or, you know, is that how you found your strip club with Witherspoon that one night? He didn't need my help, but Harden should write a book (laughs) for sure. Harden could write like the ultimate bachelor night book. It could be like, there's a website called bro Bible. If Harden wrote a strip club book, it would be the bro Bible. Like this guy, I feel like Harden like has coupons. Like he's, like he's so into strip clubs. He's like probably like got a Groupon for like a 3 for 1 lap dance or something. I don't know. That dude is like he's he's uh he's a grizzled vet of the strip club scene. That is for sure.
0: He is a uh, legend in those, those, uh, those worlds. That's for sure. Which I guess the NBA kind of is in general, not as much as it used to be, but there's still like that niche of players, man, that they, they definitely like the strip clubs my attention.
1: I didn't look it up, but somebody said Harden's numbers when he's on the road in Miami are the worst of his career.
0: (laughs) That would make sense. Good thing. Good thing. They don't play in in Miami. Good thing Bro. they don't have a team in Vegas. That would be even worse, probably. No,
1: yeah. but man, <laughs> Miami strip clubs. Oh, I'm sure. I That's went to. A, I went to when I was a nerd in IT. I used to travel, and and we would go to strip clubs a lot. And I was in a strip club in Miami, and that uh, was the wildest experience. We were sitting there, and I heard somebody clapping. I was like, Oh, is the performance over with? And the music had stopped, and I was like, Oh, it's over with, and I start clapping. And I look up and it's just a chick on stage and she's making her booty like actually (laughs) clapping. And it was so (laughs) loud that it sounded like people clapping. And that was just like, I had no idea that was possible. So your natural
0: response is just to do a standing ovation, which that seems like like, an appropriate response.
1: I didn't know, but I wasn't looking. That's why I was clapping. But, no, I wasn't going to stand up. That would have been awkward. They'd have been like, oh. Yeah, yeah.
0: Don't, don't stand up. Don't stand no, don't, up. <laughs> don't wear sweatpants. Don't That's wear a sweatpants. rule I
1: live by. Don't wear sweatpants to a strip club. That's a pretty good rule. <laughs> all right, so let's
0: dive into Houston sports here a little bit. Yeah, so just it. since it's the most uh, you know, recent of all the stories out there. I as somebody who's covering sports though, are you a little sad to see the saga end when it comes to Deshaun Watson? Or I mean, just what just unpack all that for me if you yeah, can. Yeah, from like, like a selfish
1: perspective, uh However, no, yeah. because he could be a creep and a weirdo in Cleveland, and I can still talk about it. But if it's a true. fan of the team, I'm so relieved that it's over with. This city has kind of been held hostage for uh a little over a year now. And it was just this one one death blow after another to this city. When you go back and you look at after the world series, that was the, I, I feel like Houston sold its soul to the devil for that world series.
0: The, the, the first In 2017, the that, yeah,
1: 2017 Houston Astros world series, because shortly after that, Gerrit Cole's gone. Yeah. Then, then they lose George Springer. Now they've lost Carlos Correa. The cheating yeah. scandal happened, right? They've gotten close, but they've never won it again. Then you lose James Harden. Now you lose Deshaun Watson. You, Bill O'Brien destroys the Texas <laughs> franchise by trading DeAndre Hopkins for a bag of sunflower seeds. Like just it was just one detrimental move after another in this city. And it was like, what good is going to happen? And I think right now the only good thing is there's one less. um. Uh, emotional toll being being held over our heads here in houston
0: yeah at least got right? a place to restart from now
1: well and you got some draft picks and it's hard to rebuild if you don't have the draft picks and you had mortgaged your future because bill o'brien's a dumbass and he's a better coach than he'll ever be as a gm oh, he wasn't yeah. even a great coach no but, but he, he was he was this franchise oh terrible this GM. franchise yeah when you think about the moves laramie tunsell Look! Look what this franchise gave up to get Laramie Tunsil. In fact, if you go back, there was a tweet I saw. They showed what the Dolphins turned into the turned the Laramie Tunsil trade into, and it was like nine players. Oh yeah, Tyreek Hill, Waddle, like four other, like two linemen, a D end. Like it was just like what? All from the draft picks and everything else. The, the the you know the the swapping of picks and everything they got during that trade, and and in return, you look at that and you look at D Hop, right? Okay. Devontae Adams gets a first and a second this year by by being traded to the Raiders. Tyreek Hill gets a first and a fourth this year, a first and a fourth next year, and then a, like another fourth or a fifth or something like that to go to and and the Texans got David Johnson, who might as well be out there with one foot. He might as well yeah. be a running back who's missing an ankle or something, and in his contract. And then I think they got like a third round pick. For the best receiver in football. So it's just been a nightmare. So the fact that then this happens, of course, you know, Deshaun says, I want out because the Texans are so poorly run. The front office is a joke. Jack Easterby is the devil. I know he's a preacher. He's the devil. <laughs> he's running this franchise. I literally made a shirt for my show. It says fire Easterby and I've been selling them and I don't care. They I'm probably gonna, sell pretty well. They do pretty good. I want to do a billboard down here. I think great. <laughs> Just a fire Easterby billboard. Um. But yeah, then Deshaun says he wants out and he's hurt. And by the way, my barber is Deshaun Watson's barber. So I had all the scoop. I had all oh, wow. the inside knowledge, which was great. But the reason he, you know, he wanted out because he just didn't, they, they, they said they were going to value his input and then just ignored him in every single facet of what they did. Cause on then the, he was like, I'm gone on the
0: outside looking in for a lot of us, you know, we, we knew that he wanted to get out and then all these allegations and everything came out. So it was easy to think maybe he just wanted to get away from Houston before the stuff blew up. But, uh, you know, uh, my question now that he's in Cleveland, which first of all, amazing contract you know that's that's going to completely change uh, a lot about how these nfl teams do business which is just it's i can't even getty
1: should if there's a if there's a an award for agent of the year forget drew Rosenhaus, forget yep. uh, uh we always
0: said we always said joe flacco's agent was probably the best agent of all time uh but now David it's, it's, it's topped.
1: If you're Deshaun Watson and you turned in the turmoil that was your exit from the Houston Texans on top of criminal allegations of sexual assault and impropriety, plus 22 civil cases of sexual impropriety and assault, and you parlay that into a $46 million raise and $230 million guaranteed, when you were at 184 and not all guaranteed, you have the best agent on the planet.
0: You haven't even he played really. for a year, you know. I mean, they, who knows what you're gonna play
1: like? It's crazy, it's uh, crazy. Like he should he should just take that 30 of the 230 guaranteed and give it to Mulgetty because he earned every I'm, dime.
0: I'm sure he's getting a piece. Uh, how many, how many games do you think he gets suspended? Is it a whole season um, or just partial?
1: No, 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 no. Now I will say this. I don't know if you heard this, but um I talked about this today on my show. Uh, he is now in another grand jury hearing. So okay. the grand jury that he that, that he had to face here in Harris County, well, I'm not in there, but in Houston, Harris County, uh, he was no billed on those charges. But one of the complainants in, of the 22 is in uh, Brazoria County, which is a surrounding county of Harris County in Houston. right? And that's where the grand jury hearings are taking place. So those were separate than right. the original criminal charges that he was no billed on. So, so now still, that still, can and, the, and apparently the Browns knew this when they did the deal that he might face another grand jury hearing, uh, in another County. And that has come to fruition as of today. So it'll be interesting. Um, but yeah, I, I look, I think what, what he did, uh, on the field is, is he's lucky. I'll just say this. Deshaun Watson is lucky. He's not. Marcus Mariota,
0: <laughs> you know, what it, I mean? well, like, there, there's that sliding scale that controversy and skill, you know, and, and, and your value that your skill gives you can help that controversy scale a little bit. And you're absolutely right. If he was uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, if he was well, uh you know, he's not going to be in the same situation, obviously.
1: Yeah. Well, he he's, he's, he's in a, you know, he chose Cleveland. I was surprised because uh, my my source, which was my barber, his barber was like, yeah, he definitely does not want to be in a cold weather city. He's a, well, he's a I guess, what
0: I guess what happened though was once Baker felt like the jilted lover and started complaining and he said he wanted out and he's done. Then Cleveland just went ahead and doubled down because remember the talks had broke off and then they yeah. came back and I,
1: I to he me- started recruiting people to go to Atlanta with him.
0: Yeah, to me, it seems like he pretty much told Cleveland what he would need, and they're like, oh, okay.
1: So the way I heard it happened was he had decided early on after he narrowed it down to four teams, it was Cleveland, Atlanta, um, Carolina, and New Orleans. Right. And then Cleveland was out for a couple of different reasons. One, yeah, they were the they it.
0: were the ones, first
1: one that it was, was out. The first eliminated of the finalists, right? Like he went through and eliminated a lot of people. He wanted to actually play an Indy, and the Texans said no. The Texans said we will not, not try in in to the the division, division, which yeah. is very smart. I mean, now at least they did one thing right now. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, they 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 also had a say in this in a certain way. And so they said, No, you're not going in the division, you can go anywhere else. Um, but yeah, the first one eliminated was the coldest weather city in an open air stadium. And one that when last time he was there in the in the he didn't play well. He right. didn't perform well in the cold and all this and that. I mean, you gotta remember he's born in Atlanta, played in Clemson, he's a southern boy. Like the warm weather of the south. Not that Carolina's, but Carolina has four seasons, it's right? It's not Cleveland. Right. So that's what was the most shocking because all along, I mean, like I broke the news and oh, I was so mad that everybody on in the on Twitter was trying to act like, but remember when they started saying, Oh, Miami, that's where he's gonna go. I had no. broke that back in February because of my source. He's like, Hey, just between you and me, I'm flying to Miami. I'm gonna cut his hair. He's flying me in. I was like, oh, he's like, yeah. So I kind of got to break that, which was cool. But then. So wait, wait, the-
0: real quick, real quick. Is uh, is Deshaun the guy that was supposed to meet on the
1: boat? Is is he the same guy? Uh,
0: that's what it seemed like to us. The I time.
1: don't know, but half of the people that I talked to say it was Brady and the other half say it was Deshaun. Really? Okay. Yeah.
0: I, I could buy both, I suppose.
1: Oh, yeah, I see you, me too. I could believe both of those because they were interested in both of them. Hell, they wanted Brady to become part owner of the Dolphins. They offered <laughs> him ownership. So I could see either one. Um, But yeah, that one thing led to another. And then here, the, the allegations hit soon after that put a pause on everything. Fast forward a year because you got to get through this and get to the depositions at the grand jury. And by that time, Brian Flores gets fired from the Dolphins And now they're all in upheaval. And he's like, okay, I'm good. I'll just skip Miami because I wanted to go there with Brian Flores and everything else. So it just changed the course. I mean, it was just so many zigs and zags in this journey. As a a Houston Texans fan, which I use that term loosely, as jaded as I am with this franchise and their current ownership, I'm relieved that it's over. That's the big thing.
0: You don't, you don't seem real optimistic though, that they're going to pick the pieces up. And and, and, hey, if it it makes you feel any better, man, I'm a Bengals fan and I have been my whole life. And up until this past year, I know how it feels, you know? And then now all of a sudden we act like we're going to start being a franchise. So if we can do it. Well, listen, though,
1: you guys had success in the past. I remember the, the Oilers getting their ass whooped by Sam Weish and the Bengals. And, yeah, and, uh, that was what's his fi- name? that's 50 uh, years ago. Boomer Esiason. Boomer Esiason. Or, or, yeah. But you had, uh, was it? There was another cat, Ken, uh, Ken, Ken uh, Anderson. Yeah. Ken Anderson was pretty yeah. good.
0: Yeah. But, but people then need to remember what happened from 1990 until like 2003. And then we had a little <laughs> blip there. But anyway, my point is, I have faith that the Texans, the good thing is, you're in a terrible division so hopefully it won't yeah. won't take that much to figure it out but yeah i,
1: I thankfully running backs lifespan in the nfl is short so derrick henry's <laughs> uh window of opportunity shrinks every month we get in the future he, yeah, he shrinks up, and so he's like, going to
0: hey. keep carrying it 300 times a year so that'll yeah, uh, they gonna last long right and then, yeah, i'm not games. worried about
1: the drags trevor lawrence doesn't impress me that they they just spent a bunch of stupid money Christian Kirk got 70 something. They, they have the
0: highest paid Let's... wide receiver core in the, in the league. Now.
1: And, they, and you couldn't, you probably wouldn't even see if you saw them on the streets. you'd be like, Oh, are those? Are no those wonder Mormons? Devontae Adams
0: and Tyreek Hill are getting these deals because they're like, well, look what Christian Kirk got. Thanks a lot. Dude, Jacksonville. You screwed yeah, the market I mean, up look, for everybody.
1: I, I heard and read, uh, from people that, yeah, dude, most of the NFL was pissed that Jacksonville was spending the kind of money they were spending on the caliber of player because they're like, this is not, what are you doing? You're not spending the right money on the right people, you know? So wow, that, that is, that explains, I'm glad you well, have faith in the Texans, by the way. I have zero. I, I've seen what this <laughs> franchise has done. And I think a lot of this is predicated around Jack Easterby. I hope Nick Casario is the right guy. His draft last year was decent. It's hard to mess up a first round pick, right? And they have two of them over the next three years. So you're going to get six first rounders. Great. I mean, if five of the six end up being starters and good players, that's pretty good. Hey, that's kind of what the dolphins just went through. So maybe, yeah. maybe you can Denver have similar, do the same thing. I mean, the Browns have built through the draft and then trades. And I mean, there are teams, bingles. No, there's teams that have, that that have done this, but I think their ownership crew is yeah. a little bit better.
0: To preface my optimism, I, I wasn't necessarily saying right away. It might take okay. a little bit of time. So, you know, patience is a virtue, I guess. Uh all right. Uh when when are the Houston Rockets going to be uh, relevant again?
1: I give them three years.
0: All right, what's it gonna take? What does that look like?
1: I'm I'm a little worried that that uh green is not the guy. Uh, but with with all of the picks that they have and the young talent that they have. And the fact that in basketball, it only literally takes one guy. Yeah. I mean, when you think about that in the NFL, you can't just get one draft pick, even if it's a Patrick Mahomes. Imagine Patrick Mahomes plays for the Lions. <sighs> yeah. They might win eight games, but they're not, you know what I mean? Instead of their, 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 you know, normal four to six. But when you have Patrick Mahomes and then you have Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill and the running game and, you know, you get some defenders and add Tyron Matthew to the back end of that defense, like then you start to, but you have right. that centerpiece. So in basketball, it just, it's a lot easier because if you add Ja Morant to the Memphis Grizzlies, all of a sudden, holy shit, Memphis is a contender, right? They're amazing right? now. Yeah. Yeah. And that was like, that wasn't his first year in the league that it took that. I mean, you saw he was talented, but look, he's evolved over the last couple of years into this superstar. Should, oh, absolutely. Maybe the MVP of the league if he stays healthy. So I, I, it's just going to take one of those, but I don't think it's Jalen Green. Uh, he's gotten better, but he's just not. He hasn't. I, I was, I was worried about his jump shot mechanics and the way it's kind of funky delivery when he shoots it. And how do you fix that? Can you fix that? I mean, they tried that with uh, right. what, the middle ball brother. Uh, or the oldest, and he had Lonzo. a funky jump shot. Yeah, Alonzo. Yeah, so I mean, where's he? Nobody's like, because well, the youngest is actually the best at the ball. Oh game. yeah, yeah. But nonetheless, I think they can turn it around because all they need is to hit on one of these. That's it. And then you bring in some depth and some talent around him, and you're good.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's that's the thing. And and some of these other teams with the stars, like they're not getting any younger. So yeah, if you hit it right, you know, you could get a resurgence there. So we'll see what happens. All right. Let me ask you about the Astros. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know our favorite team to, to root against, trash cans. Uh, the, the most hated. So our my buddy, one of my co-hosts, who's who's not with us uh, this evening, he is the biggest diehard Braves fan in the world. So he really okay. he, he went to the World Series and really enjoyed his time down there. But anyway, uh, the the Astros, like you mentioned earlier, they've had some of these pieces kind of fall apart here, not fall apart, but move away. Oh, well, they're hemorrhaging talent. Yeah, yeah. yeah so and. <sighs> Just in the division, the Mariners all of a sudden have decided they want to just start spinning Jack and and get players like crazy. So, uh, what's your prognostication on the uh, the Astros? I know the season's right around the corner here. So, what's uh, if you had to put an over under on wins?
1: What are you thinking? Uh, I think this team can still win like 90, 95 games. I think they need Lance McCullers Jr. to come back and be healthy. Yes. Uh he's super key. That guy is a one uh anywhere else where Justin Verlander isn't, you know what I mean? Like he's he's a, he's an ace on a lot of stuff. I had I had him on my
0: fantasy team last year, baby. I know all about McCauley's. <laughs>
1: uh yeah. And and that's the thing. Like he's got the stuff. I mean, any got anybody that can go in the playoffs against a Yankees lineup throw 27 curveballs in a row yeah. and not get shelled, get outs and win the game. That's that's a damn good curveball. Probably, you know, one of if not the best curveballs in baseball. When he's healthy, so that's a key, right? Uh, I'm, I'm a little worried about their depth at the position. If they're like, Jake Rizzi's hit 93 in spring training. If that's your anchor after Verlander, you got some work to do. Jake Rizzi was, I mean, for lack of a better word, ass last year. It was bad. Yeah. So you lose Correa. You've lost Springer. Garrett Cole's gone. When you think about the talent that has left this organization and gone elsewhere, it might be. As good as the talent that's remaining, and that's the thing. We still don't know if Kyle Tucker going to be consistently. Is he going to play as well as he did last year? He looked like he was an emerging young super young. Yeah. I, won't call him a I think
0: MLB Network had him as like the fifth
1: best uh, um, left, left fielder, or right fielder. No. Yeah, I, I don't see it, but okay, that's fine. Uh, it's just, he's, he's quiet in the way that he does it. Right. But I mean, you still have good guys. Is Bregman going to get his swagger back? That's what to me Man. hurts the most about losing Correa. is once the Astros were outed as cheaters in 2019, the, I mean, Bregman relied on that swagger and being the bad guy and being the most hated and he loved it and he thrived on it, but it was all in good fun and the nature of baseball but when they were labeled as cheaters and when nobody believed that they could achieve what they achieved without cheating i think it devastated a lot of these dudes egos you saw jose altuve oh. shrink he wasn't having fun anymore his yeah. team didn't have fun the last couple of years I, ever I, since I, the cheating scandal broke this used to be the i mean i don't know if you remember this oh. but hank conger used to do the conger bot <laughs> and the astros <laughs> dugout and springer they would have they literally had this thing called club astros from like 2015 to 2018, where every time they won, they would put on a strobe light and play music and Springer would DJ. Dude, they did oh. none of that in the last
0: year. Oh, no. None I mean, of that. You, could, you could tell like once the news broke and then they were getting grilled in the interviews about it and everything else like, the, the thing that probably helped them the most was the fact you had the COVID season and it, it changed the dot. You could go one on
1: the, year with no fans.
0: Yeah. So it made everybody relax a little bit, or at least the, the pain healed more, but you know, you're right. That team beforehand was so jovial and just had the, the Fun, excitement. Yeah.
1: Cocky, but not brash. I mean, Bregman was a little put, I mean, you like, Nobody was they were,
0: nobody was hating on the Astros. It's they were
1: likable. They right. were you know they were a likable you, you know if you were a Yankee you probably didn't like them because they whooped your ass every year in the playoffs.
0: That's what made all of us like them. And then they screwed yeah. it up. Damn it, those bastards in the trash can. Exactly. Why'd they do
1: it? But uh. I mean, the crazy, the big loss to me is now that you lost Korea because when you look at last season, and this is a, a, a Alex Bregman that just wasn't the same uh, mentally. Uh, Altuve wasn't the same. Yuli's kind of getting older. Verlander was out with the surgery and, you know, they lacked leadership in a lot of ways. And Correa, and I argued with one of my, my, my radio buddies about this on Twitter today, but Correa's leadership and not just on the field. Cause he would get on the mound and yell at from Valdez to get his head in the game. And it would make a difference, get the out, right. get out of the inning. It mattered, right? Like he's a good leader on the field. It was off the field. It was with the media and the fans and the accusations from other players. And he would stand in the microphone and look in the camera and say, we're over it. And we don't care if you don't like us. We're not cheating now and we're beating everybody. So deal with it. We're back in the ALCS. We're back in the World Series and we haven't cheated to do it. We're just good ball players that made a mistake and they needed somebody like that. They needed somebody to step up, and it was huge what Correa did. I mean, I forget who it was. I think it was Cody Bellinger. Or somebody said something about the Astros cheating yeah. and, and, and used misinformation. And, I, and I know what you're talking about. Yeah, literally it says, Cody Bellinger needs to shut his mouth if he doesn't have his facts right. No one else on the Astros was saying that because they knew they were wrong, and they just kind of wilted and just, hey, we'll just, just don't say anything. Just let them talk their mess, but not Correa. And he kept that swagger through the entire season. He kept that swagger. He kept the team confident. It was a quieter confidence, but they rallied around his, his, his charisma, his swagger, and his ability to stand out front and say, I'm not scared of this moment, whatever this moment is, right? So, Post cheating. I'm not scared of it. And you look at the season he had, and it was the exact season they needed. Altuve wouldn't do that.
0: No, so that was that. That one hurts. Then that that one yeah. hurts that he's gone. So
1: losing Correa, I think, is a big loss just from that stand. Who's going to step up now? I mean, we know Verlander's a guy, but he's also old, and no. he, you know. But so Verlander's a great leader in the clubhouse, but he only pitches one every five days. But when you got a shortstop who's facing the media every day because he's playing every day. And his defense is stellar. Maybe the best defensive shortstop in baseball right now. Don't at me, host. Just go back and watch the tape. You know what I mean? Like when you, when you, that was the difference. Altuve doesn't do those kind of interviews. is not going to face the music on national TV. you remember that? They would ask no. Correa about cheating and he would just, he wouldn't dodge it. He wouldn't go, like, Hey, we're past that. He would answer it. He'd be like, Hey, I'm sorry. The fans don't like it. We regret it, but you know what? We hadn't done it. So shut up about it.
0: Yeah, Altuve would just, he would sulk all the time, man. I like, you could feel like how uncomfortable he was when, when they would ask him and grill him about that. And, and you're right. When I go back and think about Correa, man, he was always that dude. Uh, So look
1: at the, look at the post game interviews of the, was it the ALCS? When they had Bregman on and Correa and Altuve. Look at the differences. I just, anybody that's seriously into this, Go back and watch the three of those guys. It was three monumentally different interviews at that desk with A. Rod and and uh, 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 Big Poppy and and whoever it was. You had this Bregman guy who was kind of used to have swagger, but he was just like, "Yeah, you know, we're just. I'm really excited. We're on to the another World so he's Just and Altuve was the same way, and it was Correa. He sat up in the chair. He wasn't afraid of the moment. He wasn't afraid to talk about that or anything else. It was huge.
0: So Huge. the difference between a couple of them still seeking redemption, the other one's just not giving a fuck. He's just Moving ready to on. go.
1: Yep. Yeah. We can't fix it. It's the, it's the old base. It's the, it's the athlete mentality. You can't change what happened last week, last game, last inning, last quarter, last pitch. You, you know, can we, only control what's going to happen next. And they was the only one that had that mentality.
0: We we've had a lot of, um, ex-ball players come on the show and, and talk and, you know, most of them, you know, they're, they're really against it, but like we had some pitchers, and like the one I remember was we talked to Jack McDowell mm-hmm. and he was just like, man, this this kind of thing has been going on forever, <laughs> you know? And, and we, we all know that. And it's like, we, it's like anything. If you, if, if you speed, you're guilty, but you're only guilty if you get caught speeding, right? Like all right. every, everybody's speeding in a 65 and every MLB team out there is doing something to get an advantage. Now the links that the Astros went to, it was bad and you know, they, the punishment got handed down. But, uh, the, the one thing that just drives me crazy about baseball is just the lack of consistency when it comes to how people react to things like this, it's just nuts, yes. but
1: uh, anyway, so I had one guy, I saw one guy on Twitter, try to liken it to the murder. Right. Because like, you letter, the Yankee letter is coming out in less than two weeks now. The one that baseball had sealed. Oh, I can't wait. Oh my God. <laughs> I can't wait. I yeah. cannot wait to see what's in that letter. I hope it's so damning. That they have to they have to, to 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 break up the Yankees and fold the franchise oh. and then Rob Manfred has to quit his job and go work at Arby's. I hey, hope it's so if, bad.
0: If it got Rob Manfred to go work at Arby's, I'm I'm signing oh my up god, I hope
1: it's bad. Because then you know, and every <laughs> Astros fan is gonna be like, see, we told you everybody else cheats, and that's the thing that got me is this guy was like, Yeah, but it's yeah. like murder, there's different degrees. Um, I'm like, bitch, if someone died, what are you talking about? That's the stupidest (laughs) argument. What you should have said is it's like different types of crimes, right? Like there's like going through my mail and then there's murdering somebody. They're both crimes. And somewhere in there is
0: banging on a trash can, right? And 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 (laughs) let's be real
1: about this, Chad. The only reason the Astros are in trouble is because the Red Sox and Yankees led the way and did the electronic cheating first. Well, I should say didn't do it first, but got busted first doing it. With the Apple Watch, with the Red Sox and the Yankees, yep. moved their cameras in the stadium. They literally moved the entire broadcast cameras so they could get a better shot of the bench manager on the opposing dugout.
0: You're doing a really good job trying to get me to restore that hate back to the Yankees and oh, off the listen, Astros. I appreciate There's a I lot of reasons that. to hate <laughs> the Yankees. There's a
1: ton of reasons to hate the Yankees. I could I could do this all day. <laughs> but yeah, like I mean, let's see what it is. Let's see what it is. They fought vehemently to have that hidden. There's something in there and I can't wait to see what it is.
0: Well, Barry, I know you, you just got done doing a show before you came yeah. on. You've given me plenty of time, man. And you know, what's <laughs> great is usually when guests come on, we always have this little debrief before, but we kind of got into the conversation right. right away and we're like, screw it. We'll do it live.
1: You know? Yeah, we'll do it live.
0: <laughs> uh, but I, I did have one question that one of my co-hosts, Biggie, I uh, want me to ask you and okay. Do you have any dealings or have you met Mattress Mac at all? Like he's dying to know.
1: I do, Yeah, I've met Mac several times. My old co-host when I did my radio show here uh, on ESPN Houston, uh, my old co-host was really good friends with Mattress Mac. And so he would do our show all the time. Uh, I actually have a bit, one of my more well-known bits, at least down here. Uh, was about mattress mac and uh, people would send it to him. He'd be like you the one who did the joke about the the uh, the the floods and Joel Osteen. I was like, yeah, that is it. So yeah, great dude. Uh, bit of a gambling problem, but yeah, a wonderful human being. And it, everyone talks about Joel Osteen and the church, but literally there is no better human being in this city when it comes to helping people. than mattress mac, the most generous. So he's, I, I didn't, know, I didn't
0: know that him, at first, I, I only knew him as the gambler because every time he places those big uh, bets, dude. it pops up, but I was just trying to, you know, get some facts in order Everybody I else talk to around
1: you. the country knows mattress Mac for his gambling and his right. wagering. What we know him here in Houston for is when, when hurricane Harvey hits literally before Joel Olstein church opens their doors. And this is part of my joke, but this is a fact. Mattress Mac has two locations in the city. That's it. Two stores in the entire city of Houston of 6 million people. And he makes all this money off of those two stores, but they're so big in flood. He opened the doors and just people came because they had nowhere to go. They went to gallery furniture and he set up food and he fed people. He, all the first responders that were out pulling people out of houses, they were like from Louisiana. They were People were coming from all over the country to help us in this city. And Mattress Mac was letting the first responders actually sleep in the beds because he's Mattress Mac. He's got the shit ton of beds on the showroom. And once that happens, you can't sell those. You got. So what he does, he gives them to people for their house. Like, it's just amazing, dude. And he does this all the time.
0: Which, like I said, I learned that today. I was today's years old when I found that out because I wanted to make sure I was getting my facts straight. I started looking him up, and I was like, holy
1: shit, this guy's a legend down there. It's not just what we see. Like. I'm in. Fuck West I, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to the church of gallery furniture. I don't right. give a shit. <laughs> pray, That's pray my joke. People say, Are seaweed. you Presbyterian? No, I'm post I'm getting all <laughs> their mattresses.
0: Hell yeah, man. Um, all right. Well, uh, I, I just want to give everybody a reminder. Uh, Barry on Deck, that's the show. Yep. You can find on it on Twitch. Twitch. Yep. You got anything else going on? You got any comedy shows coming up anytime soon? I mean, I'm, want- I'm
1: trying to get a schedule together, but yeah, if you want to follow me, uh, my social media is real easy. It's two places. My show, which is Barry on deck has all of its own social media stuff. So just look for at Barry on deck, Twitter, Twitch, Instagram, whatever it is. I've got that. And then my comedy is Barry is funny. Uh, And that's all the same brand on whatever. So the websites are Barry on Barry is funny.com. The social media is Barry on deck or Barry is funny. Just search it and you'll find
0: me. You got big balls just to say Barry is funny. You That's better be either
1: confident or stupid, right? <laughs> to, to, or both a little bit of both. I hear you, bud. All right. Well,
0: Barry, uh, thanks for coming on the show, man. It's been a pleasure. Uh, it's been a, a fantastic experience. We're going to drop it as a solo show. A lot of times we we'll do these interviews. We'll put them on with our big show. We do once a week, but you'll be a little weekend special. So we'll uh, throw it nice. out there for everybody this weekend. So man, brother, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Man. I really appreciate this. guy. This is a lot of fun. Thank you, bud. Bye.